Praise the Lord. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. Um, how many of you remember what your very first car was? Anybody remember what your very first car was? Probably just about all of us in here remember what our very first car was. Mine, the, I've got a picture. This isn't, that's a picture of my very first car. But what's so funny about that? You, <laughs> no, I didn't have to pedal it, Glenn. Although it really wasn't, wasn't quite the babe car, babe mobile, was it? Not really. My very first car, I think it was like an 84, 85 Dodge Colt. That was the color. It was that powder blue. And uh, hey, I didn't care. It was mine. And you know that your first car can, can have, uh, you can have much affection and grow, uh, have much fondness for your first car. Or for those of us who down through the years have had the same car year after year after year. And uh, you can, uh, it, can, it can begin to endure itself to you down through the years. You, you don't even notice some of the flaws, do you? Um, you don't mind that the, uh, the heater or the air conditioning doesn't work anymore, or uh, the turn signal or the intermittent uh, windshield wipers no longer work, no big deal, you don't care. Um, are the squeals and the squeaks that uh, always happen when you go over potholes or railroad tracks, you don't, you don't care, you don't even hear it anymore. That check engine light that has been on for so long, you get concerned when it goes off after a while, right? Uh, that's just what happens. And, uh, car, you know, it's been faithful to us. It's been dependable. We've grown accustomed. We grow attached. Some of you have seen maybe that, uh, that commercial for Liberty Mutual Car Insurance to where that lady says, Brad, I lost Brad. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you have even gone so far as to name your car. How many of you have named your car down through the years? Yeah, there's a couple of you have. The rest of you, you just don't want to admit it, but I know that you've named your car. I looked up the other day some of the popular names to name a car. Um, I think Fred is a popular name. Betsy the Beast. Uh, that's what our new president is now writing in. They call that the beast. By the way, the windshield on the presidential limo is about three inches thick, by the way. Crazy. Anyways, but the beast uh, or a penny. But uh, you name your car because that's just what you do. Have you ever, though, gotten car fever? It's amazing how this works. Uh, you're driving down the road, let's just say with Penny. You're driving down the road with Penny, and then you, you go by this new car lot, okay? And much to the chagrin of Penny, you drive your car into this new car lot. And it's amazing that how quickly Penny's flaws all of a sudden come to the surface. As you're riding around looking at all the new cars, all of a sudden you're thinking, I bet that car's turn signals work. I bet that car doesn't have a check engine light that comes on the time. And the more you look the more you realize, wow, you've got car fever. I bet every single one of us in here, you know what I'm talking about. And so what ends up happening is you just, you can't stop thinking about it. Penny no longer will do. She's been faithful, but now I've got to have that new car. And day after day, you keep thinking about how can I get that new car? You're consumed with going after that new car. I thought of that illustration as we go into our second part of our series. Last week we began looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. 
And I spent time focusing on those seven words that Jesus said in that passage when he said, if anyone desires to come after me. I said that I believe that what Jesus was trying to say that if you want to have a relationship with me, don't, don't let that just go over like just another preacher just saying that. If you want to have a relationship with me, Jesus is saying, if you want to be a part of me, if you want to experience my fullness, if you want to experience the fullness of my presence, if you want to experience that I am a good, good father. I believe Jesus is telling us in this passage, if that's what you want, then you need to pursue him. You need to be consumed with Jesus. You, be, you need to come after him. We also said that said last week that Jesus will not force this relationship on any of us. We either want it or we don't. So as we enter continue to enter this new year of 2017, what are some ways that we can come after Jesus? How can we come after Jesus? We'll look at this for a few weeks, but I'm going to go over three today. The first way that we can come after Jesus is with a love that is completely sincere. With a love that is completely sincere. Now, if I just left you alone here for about five or ten minutes and just let those words sink in, um, God would begin to reveal some things to you. But how can you come after Jesus with a love that is sincere? The first half of Romans chapter 12, 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. You see, God can see through any play acting on our part, can He? He knows when we're just going through the motions. He knows when you and I have ulterior motives. But realize that because Christ forgave us completely, praise the Lord, because forgave us completely. We can love Him and others completely. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20 Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. <clears throat> Years ago, I saw a billboard in Michigan. I was up there at Rick Webb's church doing... Um, some, uh, some worship for them. Excuse me one second. And I saw a billboard for Harris Jewelry. I don't have the picture of it. You'll just have to kind of get it in your mind. But it uh, pictured a man putting a huge, beautiful ring on the finger of his fiancée with a statement that read, Prove your love forever. Prove your love forever. And I, it just really caught me. And I thought, that is as if to say that the man's true test of love, 
The man's true test of his sincerity to her is by how much money he put into a ring, right? Now, some of you women are probably saying, yeah, what's wrong with that, right? (laughs) However, our sincere love for God, for the Lord, cannot be shown in anything that you or I own or what we spend, or even the number of good deeds that we are able to do in the world. You see, our love for God is shown by giving Him the one thing that He wants the most, your hearts. That's how we come after Jesus with a sincere heart, is to give Him your hearts. Now, how do we come after Jesus by giving Him our hearts? The secret, folks, lies in our focus passage in Luke chapter 9, 23. Jesus, and it says, Then He said to them, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. Did you notice what Jesus said right after those first seven words? If anyone desires to come after Me, let him... Deny himself. Oh, we don't like that part of this verse. Deny self. This is not an easy task. Anyone who tries to lose weight after the holidays, you know that to deny self is not easy. Denial does not come naturally because everyone has a natural born tendency to always think of themselves you have to forgive me. If I told this, it was years ago. I don't think that I did. It may have been in a study. I don't know. But I saw this, um, um, this portrayed beautifully years ago when our kids were young, pretty young, pretty small. And we had a, um, um, we were having a, a big meal. I don't know what it was. But we loved those Pillsbury Crescent Rolls. You know what I'm talking about? The little half-moon Crescent Rolls. Those are some of our favorites. Those things will go up quicker than anything. Well, it got down to the final crescent roll. And we began arguing <coughs> about who was going to get that last crescent roll. And uh, this, this act of what I'm talking about was shown beautifully. Uh, with great love, Parker just reached down and he grabbed that last crescent roll and he licked it. <laughs> So nobody else is going to get that last crescent roll, all right? Just a beautiful display of... (laughs) Sorry, I didn't ask you if I could tell you that story. (laughs) Is denying oneself impossible? No, because look at the moms, right? While the kids and dad are devising ways to get that last roll, mom's already given it up. Right? Mom's already given it up. Why is that? Because she has more love for her kids and more love for her family than she does. Now I'm seeing your moms, right? You know what you've given up many a roles in your lifetime, haven't you? Because their love for their family is greater than their love for the role. And see what I'm saying? This comes down to self. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Man, that's hard. It's a lifetime process, a lifetime lesson that we learn to get a picture of what it really means to deny oneself. Now, I read this recently. I thought, man, that puts it into such a great picture for us to deny oneself. All we need to do is look at the scene of Peter in the courtyard when Jesus was arrested. 
And just think about that episode with me for a second. The night that Jesus was arrested and Peter was standing outside in the courtyard, you know the story, they approached him. What did he do when they confronted him and accused him of being one of them or accused him of knowing Jesus? He denied his Lord. He said, Jesus, what Jesus? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who you're talking about. Just leave me alone. I don't know any Jesus. He denied even knowing the person of Jesus. So in this sense, to deny oneself is to say, I don't even know myself. Have you ever thought of it like that? I really hadn't before I studied this. It's to treat oneself as though self did not even exist. Sounds impossible, I know, but usually we treat ourselves as if we're the most important thing in the world. But Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself. Listen, folks, if we are to follow Jesus, if we are to come after Jesus, we must forget that self even exists. I know it sounds impossible, doesn't it? But I've seen many of you live this out in your life at different times. Many times you've just given and given freely of yourself. But the more that we live out the words of Galatians 2.20 the more that we look more and more like Jesus. Hmm. I've been around people that just look like Jesus. They act like Jesus. They even smell like Jesus. Jesus has a smell, you know that? It's a sweet, sweet spirit. And really, as we talked about, it all comes down to who do we love the most. As I said last week, God so loved the world that He gave. He sent His only begotten Son. God and Jesus loved us so much that they came after us and paid the ultimate sacrifice. And because He first loved us, what's the song? Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, because He first came after me. Because He did that, because He first loved us, we can come after Jesus by learning to deny self and live for Him with a sincere love. So my question to you this morning, what is it that Jesus is saying that you need to do in order to come after Him? with a more sincere kind of love? What's holding you back from coming after Jesus with a sincere love? The second way that we can come after Jesus, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Speaking of Romans, we talked about the first half of this verse, but... Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Romans 12, 9. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. As with everything in life, church, this will require you and I to examine our hearts every day. To allow the Holy Spirit to say what is right and wrong with what might be going on. If there is any love in our hearts for anything evil, then there is a competition going on in our hearts. And God is a jealous God. He will not fight that. He will not fight that. This, this week has just been crazy with weather, um, with all the storms and, of course, the warm weather and everything. We love that part, but down south they're just getting really destroyed by all the storms and all the tornadoes. And, and this reminds me of that. This world that we live in, church, is, is like a tornado. It's dominated by Satan. What do I mean by that? Immorality is all around us. Everywhere that you look, temptations, we are bombarded with temptations in the entertainment world, with social media, the state of our youth with all the drugs and alcohol and sexual promiscuity the perversions of the internet, all of this is like dangerous debris that is just swirling around in this world. Swirling all around us. And in the midst of it all, we've got to hold on to the truth contained in God's Word. It's like one holding on to an old oak tree as the world is just swirling around us. We must cling to that which is good. One of the things that I really... I, I was, I'm off on Fridays, and so I watched the inauguration, and um, I heard President Trump's inauguration, inaugural speech, and um, there were a couple times I about had a shouting spell because he specifically talked about how God, he talked about our, we, our police force and our, our law enforcement will protect us, but he said none other, more importantly than God Almighty will protect us. I about had a shouting spell with that. That's what we need. That's what we need. Franklin Graham, he had a wonderful, uh, uh, read a wonderful scripture there. That's what this country needs, much more than Donald Trump. Much more than our politicians. We need to hang on to the Word of God. I've recently told this to our Wednesday group that's studying James. A few years ago, a well-known denomination, I, I think I know which one, but I'm not going to say it just because I don't want to speak out of turn with that, but they held their annual conferences during which they took a vote on whether or not to accept homosexuality in the church and behind their pulpits. They ended up voting to accept homosexuality And when asked why they took such a stand, one official said this, We based our decision not so much on the Bible, but on our social standing in the world. We knew that if we did not accept this lifestyle, we would be out of step with today's culture and society. I'd rather be so concerned that I'm out of step with God's Word, what God has to say than anything else, then be out of step with the society's words and what the culture said is right and wrong. God help us. God help us. 
2 Corinthians 6, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell among them. That's supposed to be, and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Oh, church, let's come after Jesus by avoiding that which is evil and clinging to that which is good. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we hate those that are doing deeds against God's word. We will never win anyone with that kind of an attitude. I'll just go ahead and say this uh, now because we're not hiding anything. Um, but in a couple of weeks we'll be having our business meeting. But one of the things that we will be doing is we will be presenting you, the church, with an addendum to the bylaws that state our position on the various sexual issues that are going on today in the church. We feel that it's very important that we state what we believe the Word of God says about these things. And you will be asked to ratify that. But one of the things that we say in there, that we do not condone any hate speech, any hate action. We want to love everyone. Show them the love of Jesus Christ and allow him to speak to them. Amen Amen is right. But we are called as believers in Jesus Christ to come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Let's come after him with this kind of love. When Jesus returns, may we be found. Oh, listen to this. When Jesus returns, may we not be found doing anything or saying anything that brings us and our Lord shame. Instead, let us live a life of holiness unto our God, so that as 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, that our whole spirit, soul, and body may be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come after Jesus by turning our back on that which is evil and clinging to that which is good. And lastly, this morning, let's come after Jesus by how we treat one another how we treat one another. Going back to Romans chapter 12, we can see that Paul says something very powerful about this. Romans 12.10, he says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, and honor giving preference to one another. Read that first line again. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Love and honor giving preference to one another. Notice there it says that we are to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. The Greek word for affectionate is this word, philostorgos. What that means is we are to have a family kind of love. It's a kind of love that cherishes family, one that is fond of one's natural relatives. I'm so thankful for the family that God has given me. 
my wife and Parker and Jenna and Jess and Brian, uh, we're all followers of Jesus Christ, and we have a great affection for one another in our home. Fifteen years of ministry has a way of bringing a family closer together. My grandparents, both sides of my grandparents, were lovers of Jesus Christ. My mom and dad and my siblings, they were and are lovers of Jesus Christ. Many of you know my Uncle Bill and Nanny used to pastor here. Matt and Megan, they are lovers of Jesus Christ. And you've heard me talk different times about Jason, who passed away about five years ago. He was a lover of Jesus Christ. When I married into Stephanie's family, her mom and dad and her brother, lovers of Jesus Christ. And what that does, that brings a bond, that brings a connection that is unlike anything in this world. Something that we all desire desperately to have. The kind of affection that Paul talks about in Romans. The kind of affection that he's trying to get the church to understand that we should have for one another. Did we ever argue and fight? Well, sure we do. I think something happened this past weekend. <laughs> That's just life. You know? Someone said, get on the bus. That's just life, you know. Yeah, we did. But sure, but because Jesus is at the center of our lives, we would always allow him to affect how we treated each other. We would have that philostorgos kind of a love for one another. Now, I understand. Not everyone here today has come from that kind of family. Maybe your experience has not been quite so positive for you. Perhaps there's those of you that have come from a family that, that there was verbal or mental or physical abuse that has taken place. And when you hear the word father and mother, you just may kind of cringe. But I'm telling you today that if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are adopted into the family of God and you can experience the kind of love, the kind of affection that we're talking about. You can experience the good, good Father that we're talking about. It's who He is and it can be who you are. The kind of love that can be experienced in the family of God. Will we as a church argue and fight? Yeah. Because we're family members. That also doesn't just condone sometimes the way we act. You see, we're, we're, we're supposed to be changing. We're supposed to be uh, becoming more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. But even when those things happen, because we're a family, because Jesus is in control, we can work it out. Look, more than half of the troubles that arises in church involves what people perceive are infringements on their rights. Privileges and prestige. Someone feels that they've not been given their special place or, or honor. Someone has been neglected or unthanked. Someone was overlooked for a certain position. Someone said something or did something to hurt someone else's feelings. That's just life sometimes in church. But, but, the mark of a true believer, a true Christian is a man or a woman who senses God's will, 
And if a change needs made, or if a conversation needs to be had, or if a mindset needs to be arranged, they will humble themselves. They will yield themselves before God and each other and work it out. Somebody say amen to that. I read a story the other day, and I'll end with this. We have a baptism that we're going to be getting ready for in a few minutes. So I see Gabby is here with her family. We're thrilled to have them with us this morning. But I read a story the other day about, now, Brian, you may have heard this guy's name. You ever heard of, you ever heard of Tim Beck? Burke. Tim Burke. You ever heard of Tim Burke? He used to, and this was a long time ago, he used to pitch for the Montreal Expos. They don't even uh, exist anymore. But Tim Burke used to pitch for the Montreal Expos. But let me read you his brief little story. From the time that Tim Burke can first remember, his dream was to be a professional baseball player. Through years of sacrifice and hard work, he achieved that goal. While a successful pitcher for the Montreal Expos, he and his wife wanted to start a family, but discovered that they were unable to have children. After much prayer, they decided to adopt four special needs international children. This led to one of the most difficult decisions of Tim's life. He discovered that his life on the road conflicted with his ability to be a quality husband and father. Over time, it became clear that he could not do a good job at both. After more prayer and soul searching, he made what many considered an unbelievable decision, he decided to give up professional baseball for good. When he left the stadium for the last time, reporters wanted to know why he was retiring. Quote, Baseball is going to do just fine without me. It's not going to miss a beat, but I'm the only father my children have. I'm the only husband my wife has. And they need me a lot more than baseball does. I thought that was a picture of the kind of affection that we need to have for one another. That's being willing to put family first. For the good of the family. And that's how we can come after Jesus. Right? That's how we can come after Jesus as we love one another in the church. Are we perfect? No. Because we're human. We will never be perfect until the day that this life is over and we get to that life there. And there'll be no sorrow there, no pain there. There'll be no sin there. There'll be nothing but a perfect heart and soul with Jesus. But until that time comes, we're not perfect. We are all works in progress. But I believe that we can come after Jesus. Even by how we love one another in the church because we are a part of the family of God. There's more practical ways that we can come after Jesus. So I pray that you'll come back for that. Come after Him with a sincere love. God already began talking to me this week about some ways that I can be more sincere in my love. Come after Jesus by not having anything in your life that doesn't please the Lord. 
but cling to that which is good. And come after Jesus by how we love in the church. I asked Mandy if she would choose a song that is popular within the church of God. So I asked her and Joyce and the singers want to come up, that's fine too. We're going to end in this song. And Speaking of a family, um, Gabby Heater talked about wanting to be baptized and wanting to be acknowledged by the family. Uh, so, Steph, would you be able to go at this time and just help her and whoever wants to go back with her, that's fine. And uh, just as we prepare to go into the baptism. But uh, would you bow your heads, please, and uh, we'll pray before we close at this time. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, we all know what it's like to have car fever. <laughs> we all know what it's like to be consumed with something in life. Consumed with getting that new car. It's all we can think about. Or that new job. Or consumed with maybe pursuing a relationship with someone. We, we all know what that's like. Jesus, you're saying, be consumed with me. Come after me. Lord, that's what we want to do this morning. God, I believe that you've spoken to all of us in some shape or form. And may we obey. Again, the one thing that you need is not our money, not things that necessarily we can just give or spend or what it costs. Lord, what you want is our heart, which really is all that we have to give. But that's what you want. So God, um, we thank you for doing business with us today. Speak to us. May our words be yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and then I will obey. For when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer, may it always be yes, Lord, Lord, we thank you for the honor and privilege that is ours to be a part of the family of God, to be a part of the church, big C, not little c. Not necessarily just to be exclusively to the Bars Mill Church of God, but Lord, to be a part of the church international. Every saint that has accepted you as Lord and Savior, they are a part of the church. So we thank you for that this morning. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.